Yo, Scott. Oh, you're starting off again this week. What's up, Christian? <laughs> um, remember in The Force Awakens when it was just a bigger Death Star? Yes. Return of the Jedi did that first? Yes, it did, Christian. <laughs> hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like the Empire needs Death Stars. I am Scott Lentz, joined by my friend and co-host Christian Ubius, and joined once again by friend of the show, Nick Viner. Nick, welcome back to Cinema. How's it going? <laughs> oh my god. I'm doing well. How are <laughs> you guys? <laughs> we got the Star Wars sound effect entrance. I'm feeling it. I, I, I will say, Nick, I have been you're the one guest who I'm like, I, I need him to come back on. <laughs> It's just been too long, and I, I remember in our arrival episode when you were like, guys, the fun fact is that therapy is important. Oh, trust me, I got nervous about fun facts for this episode, so... <laughs> yeah, according <laughs> we to... We will not have a repeat of the therapy incident. According to the both of you, you've taken copious amounts of notes on the Ewoks, who are naturally the, break, or the breakout stars of Star Wars Return of the Jedi, so... I look forward to your 30-minute diatribe into the history and biology and culture and whatever else you need about Ewoks. Look, because the Porgs in The Last Jedi, and I really like The Last Jedi, but the Porgs in The Last Jedi are a poor man's Ewoks. Well, the Porgs... It's so true. They, they don't really... They're just animals. The Ewoks <laughs> are, like, sentient. <laughs> they have a civilization. <laughs> It's it, it's a good point. I it also leads me to a question, which uh, it's this won't be our opening question, but this is more just a, a quick sidetrack, which is one: Do we think that there's a market for Ewok meat in the Star Wars universe? And two, there one hundred. If Ewoks were real, okay, right? It seems it's dark. Yeah. It's not something you like to think about as a fan of an Ewok, but it's real. Uh, and two, if Ewoks were real, would you go vegan in solidarity with them? Wow. I, w I, I wouldn't go vegan for many reasons, but I just wouldn't eat an Ewok. Yeah. It'd be like, it'd be like, oh, I'm not eating red meat. It's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not eating Ewok. Yeah. I mean, but Ewoks aren't cows. Like they're not like together grazing. That's that, that is asking like, would... <laughs> Would you go vegan in solidarity for, like, the people who are victims of cannibalization? Like, well, that's bad, but, like, <laughs> no, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think so. Folks, we are here to discuss the third and final film in the original Star Wars trilogy, Return of the Jedi. Christian Ubius's favorite Star Wars film, and from what I can gather, still his favorite Star Wars film... One he saw in theaters when it uh, when it returned to theaters for its 40th anniversary. One I did not see in theaters because I am extremely dumb, mismanaged time, and I, I am just sad about that. Nick, what are your thoughts on Return of the Jedi, uh, especially in context of the other original trilogy films which we discussed previously on the show? Yeah, um, I'll be honest. It had been a minute since I'd seen Return of the Jedi. Uh I, I can't remember when the last time I saw it was, but I imagine I was much younger than I am now. Um, and I remembered it incredibly fondly. I think I grew up always having it as the favorite of the series. Um, Rewatching, great movie. Don't have, like, a lot of negative things to say about it. 
probably not my favorite um, as it stands now. Uh, I, I would lean Empire as it stands now. But Return of the Jedi, for all intents and purposes, feels like a relatively paint-by-the-numbers, have-a-fun-time-at-the-movies uh, Star Wars film. And I'm not mad at that. All right, g- g- give me this, then. Probably the best trilogy capper of any movie, though. Agreed. And I think, honestly, it it gets away with a lot of things that I think I would now complain about in a and to yes. an end to a trilogy before it's time kind of perfect um yeah it's really enjoyed it overall it, it, it's weird because it's like a victim of merchandising and yet somehow i'm okay with it like if, if, if a movie tried to do that now i'd be like you're definitely stuffing all these things in to sell action figures but it looked so cool it feels so fun and tangible that I, I don't care. I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, obviously, this we saw this movie when we were kids. And so there's <laughs> some warm and wholesome memories that come with it. And we didn't find ourselves to be victims of the Hollywood merchandising complex just yet. But also, number two, one thing that is as good about this movie as the other Star Wars original trilogy films is that the commitment to practical filmmaking is so strong that you can overlook the... Some of the attempts to put people in cool costumes, give Luke a new lightsaber, Ewoks, other cool aliens, all these things that were there to sell action figures or plush dolls or whatever, you know that there was at least real craft put into building out this world. And I watched some of the special features that ha- that are on my Blu-ray set from this movie, and it's amazing to see... The guys who you only know about if you are really into Hollywood history, not George Lucas, but guys like Dennis Murin, who's one of the head visual effects guys at ILM, the uh, visual effects and special effects house that handled the Star Wars movies that George Lucas found him. He's going into great detail about how they came up with all these puppets or these costumes and these models that they're doing that build or that make the final space battle possible. It's amazing. And so even though there is some of that Sure, crash, com- crass commercialism. It's also in the name of making a great movie, at least to start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I heard a similar argument being made about Robert Rodriguez's Spy Kids. Like, look, there are 80,000 different toys that came out after Spy Kids, and yet it is one of the most fungible, tangible, original, creative things ever. Um, well, I have not seen Spy Kids in so many years. All right. Let's go into let's go into some of the things regarding Return of the Jedi. George Lucas wanted Steven Spielberg to direct this movie. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It feels a little bit like an Indiana Jones movie. And this came out Wait. right before Raiders, right? No, no, no. So or right Indiana after? Jones came out eighty one, and this is eighty three. So this is right after. So they had already made it together. They'd already made that together. Um, but because of something going on with like feuds with the Directors Guild of America, Spielberg couldn't do it. And then he approached David Lynch, and David Lynch said, basically, I have zero interest in doing that. Once again, can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, there's a Dune movie that he made. Maybe, maybe just watch that. It's true. The, the other name that I saw was David Cronenberg. Which, after now having gotten into his movies this year, just imagining his take on Star Wars is utterly wild. 
I, I think we could have used with some body horror Star Wars. And maybe, you know, I feel like we're, we're, we're past it now, which is unfortunate. We, we won't get that now. But imagining Cronenberg and just making a little freak version of this movie is so fun. No, it's that would, so good. That, that would be like a four-hour version of how they replaced every single one of Anakin's parts with Darth Vader's parts. That's what that movie would be. Yeah, I mean, by the end of Fighting Out the Empire, the Emperor Vader would be like half-human, half-machine, like stumbling around like a legitimate monster. Like he could have starred in a horror movie, but he uses his little tendrils to kill the Emperor regardless. Oh, the Empire would have won. They would have added some Ewok to Vader. I mean, imagine how dis- like not not that he's not already disgusting, but imagine how disgusting Jabba would look in the Cronenberg version. Oh, that's so true. He would have been way gloopier. That's just, all that I know. I was just going to say dripping. <laughs> Here's the thing. They got Richard Marquand, who has done absolutely no other movie anyone has ever heard of. Well, first of all, Christian, let's put some respect on the guy's name. Rest in peace. He died very young, unfortunately, so he didn't really have a huge chance to make his post-Star Wars career happen. He, this movie comes out in 83, as you said, and he is gone by 87, unfortunately. So his next, his next couple, he had a, a movie he directed, actually he had a couple movies he directed that came out after his passing. Now I'm getting this wrong. He had one that came out after he died, one where he helped write the movie that came out after he died. So he just really didn't have a chance to make it happen, because he was starting to make bigger movies with Hollywood stars, but alas, life took its course. Yes, um, and it's weird that Everyone knows Return of the Jedi, but few people know that Richard Marquand is the one who directed it. There was a lot that was changed in this movie. From conception to the end, like at one point the title was going to be Revenge of the Jedi. Everyone told George Lucas that was a better title, and then he was like, wait, but Jedi shouldn't have revenge. And so eventually when he did episode three, he put Revenge of the Sith as like an homage to the title that he didn't use here. Talk about excellent Star Wars trilogy cappers. <laughs> That's oh, right. easy, easily the best of the prequels. Easily. Wait, wait, wait. Nick, what are your thoughts on episode nine? Uh, one of the greatest crimes against humanity that I've ever had to sit through in a theater. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope, nope. It's, it's, it's like when you take a turd and it hurts. Like, not only do you need to expel it from your body, but it hurts. Oh yeah, and it was watching watching uh, Return of the Jedi just reminded me how how hard they dropped the ball with that one, and basically undid any goodwill <laughs> that had come before it. Um, I think oh one of the notes that I wrote down for the ending of this movie can confirm Emperor Palpatine dies. <laughs> See, here's Very the thing, true. folks: when you get when you're like a billion years old. And you get thrown down a gigantic space station's central power shaft or whatever it's called. And you go, no, and you fall and you fall and you fall. And then the entire friggin' space station explodes into spa- space. You're dead. You are unequivocally <laughs> deceased. They're running the obituary. It's, You're gone. It's hard to come back from that one. But I've got clones. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, all right. Now, instead of Ewoks, they wanted to originally use Wookiees there. Harrison Ford, at one point, wasn't going to be in this movie. And when he was, he kind of wanted George Lucas to kill him. A lot of people wanted George Lucas to kill him. And he was like, no, 
Yoda and Obi-Wan and Anakin at the end of this movie were supposed to be brought back to life after the defeat of the Emperor. Apparently, restoration of the Force was going to, like, pop them back into existence. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Um, Luke was supposed to walk away into the desert at the end of the movie like a spaghetti western hero. There are a lot of things that were supposed to happen in this movie that ended up not happening. It's amazing to hear some of these stories and see George Lucas's original intent and just hear the voices of the producers in his ear being like, please, no, please, no, George, please, George, no, no, please. <laughs> Begging him to be reasonable. I'm okay with him going his own way in this movie. In the prequels, it did get a, all right, George. All right, George, what are we, <laughs> what are we doing here? Settle, um, settle down, George. Settle down, George. One of my favorite things to do while watching the prequels is imagine George Lucas sitting at his, his Northern California home, pecking away at his typewriter as he writes out the dialogue in those movies, because that's one of the only ways that makes it bearable. <laughs> Imagining him feeling self-satisfied and thinking how proud he is of his I hate sand speech that he gives Anakin. Or how proud he is that he made Luke and Leia siblings. Yeah, I see we're back on that. Thought we could leave that in the Tough. Empire episode. Tough. <laughs> there's, yo, know, there's. Uh, we'll we'll get to the incest later on in this in this in this review. But let's let's start with our opening question. Always a Wait, great way to start a review of a movie. <laughs> Wait, Nick, what were you gonna say? <laughs> oh, nothing. No, we'll 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 save this for later. I've got thoughts. Opening question, y'all. This movie riffs on everything that came before it. And I, I think that this is the first time I've ever noticed this. I mean, we have a bigger Death Star. Just as Luke's hand was cut off, he cuts off Darth Vader's hand. The brother-sister dynamic between Luke and Leia is openly, I think, made fun of just by Harrison Ford. The idea that the big bad is Darth Vader when there's actually a better representation of evil within this universe or like something that's truly more evil than who Darth Vader is. It's weird in that it, it does so much of this movie is commenting on the movies and the success that came before it. I mean, when Obi-Wan is like in Dagobah because Luke's like, you told me that Darth Vader killed my father. And he goes, well, I was right from a certain point of view. When I saw that in theaters, we all started laughing and it, it's, it's, it's so Odd, but what are your takes on how this movie is commenting on the entire trilogy? I mean, the riffing doesn't bother me. And I feel like there's there's a world in this. I've seen lots of kind of discourse online about is the writing in this movie bad? No. Um, and you can find, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you can find all of a vast array of opinions on it. Um, but I don't mind it. I kind of like that it is taking everything that came before and being like, well, look, we've got some, we've got some new thoughts on this. Uh, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. Uh, have a fun time at this movie. Play the hits and sit back and enjoy. So I, I, I don't mind the riffing. I think if this trilogy came out now... Uh, it would probably bother me a little bit more, but it's hard not to kind of look through this movie with like rose-colored lenses. I agree with that. It's it's hard to it's hard to take the rose-colored glasses off and think 
very seriously and critically about a movie like Return of the Jedi. I think when it comes to the way that it riffs on itself, on on one hand, I definitely do like it. And one fun thing about a long-running franchise like Star Wars is when you can start to pick up on the little in-jokes they make. Like how someone in every movie always says, I've got a bad feeling about this. And you get to listen for it and... and find the moments like that or the ways where the the themes recur across movies or how characters across generations make similar decisions or similar mistakes or it's it honestly it's fun having now seen the prequels of course many times since i was a kid and being able to see where lucas is trying to deepen these movies by affecting what happened in the recent past with those movies so there's definitely some good to it and i think on the other hand it unfortunately does set up a problem with Star Wars, which is like a weird lack of creativity narratively, where there's always going to be creativity with the production design, the costumes and sets and props and the spaceships people are flying, the different kinds of species they're encountering. That's always going to be there with Star Wars. But we see right from the beginning a either unwillingness to do something daring with the narrative or just a lack of great ideas to the point where we have to blow up a second death star which i i wonder what it must have been like to be a kid seeing these movies in the 80s like i was not where i was just watching them now like i wonder if they felt the way about return of the jedi that we felt about say rise of skywalker uh, where they are repeating a lot of things from the earlier movies in that mini trilogy or from this movie to great negative effect. Well, I, I do think that there's a difference in that unlike Rise of Skywalker, this movie is competent. And uh, also this movie, I do think he's trying to, and, and, and I've said this before, this is just one of my favorite movies of all time. The way that this movie is seeking to not just comment on it, but at the same time offer you what you think you want and you kind of realize that you want in a beautiful way. Because, look, one of the things I wrote down is the incomplete Death Star looks gorgeous. Like, it, like the silhouette, it looks like a skyline turned on its side. It's, it's absolutely beautiful to see. Or the fact that when, when um, Darth Vader, who... There's arguably, like, he has arguably a commander in A New Hope. In this movie, he actually respects the Emperor. You know, he shows fear of the Emperor. And that's something that Darth Vader promoted just one of the, I don't know, maybe number one movie villain of all time. But there's actually someone worse than him whom he cannot see. So it's taking what our expectations are, and I do think it's trying to expand them expand what we think is possible with the universe uh, by going back instead of necessarily moving forward. Now, there's, there's, still, there's still a lot that we need to talk about, but I did want to start just simply with um, Jabba's Palace. I told this story to Christian before recording as a reminder, but I have seen the Jabba's Palace section of this movie probably close to 50 times because the VHS tape got stuck in the in-car VCR of my mom's Honda Odyssey when I was a child. So me and my siblings have seen the beginning portion of this movie countless times. And I feel like watching this movie yesterday, I was able to watch it with fresh eyes for the first time in a very long time. 
even recent rewatch not recent but the last time that i rewatched this movie it was with that lens of oh my gosh Jabba's palace get me through but now watching it i had just had so much more appreciation for the sequence i, I think it is a fantastic way to open the movie to move the characters into place and to see a bajillion creepy little little aliens who are just so fun to look at <laughs> It was the only part of this movie that I, I vividly remembered uh, on on rewatch. Everything was like, oh, yes, this, this, this. Um, and it's it's honestly so looking kind of at um, what's on Disney Plus. Right. We're getting a, a, a remastered version, a version with changes in it, additional scenes, all that stuff. So it was hard to remember what. Uh, what was new to me and what I, what I had seen when I was a kid. Um, but I did want to talk about one of the biggest changes in Jabba's palace, which is, uh, the change in the, uh, uh, choice of song. Oh yeah. That is playing. And namely the, the CGI aliens that appear in the version that's currently on Disney plus. Um, there is a lot of discourse online about this song change. It is one of the more infamous changes to this movie. Um, I'll say it. The new song, Jedi Rocks, I think it's better. <laughs> I don't know if it I don't know if it serves the scene better. I think there's something about um, what's it uh, what's the song? Locky Neck, I think, is the old one. Um, there's something about that that serves the kind of sleazy nature of Jabba's hut. Um, but Jabba's hut, uh, but Jedi rocks goes so hard. I, uh, I performed a little bit of it for Christian myself, a little one man band version <laughs> before we recorded. <laughs> it's so good. Again, one of those things where you just know that either George Lucas or the prop and, and, ILM guys, somebody was like creating all these aliens. And so Max Rebo, this blue elephant looking fool, who is a famous musician in the Star Wars universe, so famous that I kid you not, uh, there's a recent video game released called Star Wars Jedi Survivor. And it was a sequel to a, a, another game that came out a couple years ago. I'm playing it right now. And at one point you do meet someone who's a musician in the Star Wars universe. And she references Max Rebo. She's like, he's he's the big time you know I, I i ran into this guy and so it's so funny that they they just came up with this weird little guy max rebo and give him this whole history Sai Cy, snoodles is the the lady alien who sings by the way she shows up again in one of the animated shows there's a whole thing in the star wars the clone wars where she's got some like intel and she's on the run <laughs> like, it's so Nick's, funny to look back now nick serious question as a as a musician would you ever sample this song <laughs> jedi rocks 100 <laughs> percent. i'm not mad at it you know what there was a um there was a clip going around a few years ago on youtube of uh mac demarco uh basically like taking people on a tour of his home taking i don't remember what outlet it was but he played a demo um that he basically said this is just garbage um, and he played it and it was it was this kind of yacht rock feeling song and the internet ate it up and they were like what do you mean this is garbage why is this not out um, and he just recently put out a 198 song project 
that includes basically everything he's been working on, and that's on there. So would I sample Jedi Rocks? Hell yeah, I would sample Jedi Rocks. It goes so hard. What I love about this scene, because like, we, we, we do need to talk about it besides Jedi Rocks. <laughs> well, first of all, it looks gorgeous. I mean, also, when, you, when the camera pans to Han Solo's carbonite frozen statue hanging on the ceiling, uh, hanging on the wall like a painting, oh man, that's, uh, that's, that's amazing. And they've just stripped every single one of agency. I mean, yes, we believe that Luke has a plan with everything. Wait, should we talk about the plot of this movie? I just realized. We should probably talk about the plot of this movie, right? Sure. <laughs> All right. There's a bigger Death Star. They got to blow Luke it up. Goes, Luke goes to Tatooine to save Han. He saves Han. Good job. They go to plot of the movie. Cool. All right. So the there's they've stripped every single person of their agency. I mean, Leia, who was never a damsel in distress, they put in the golden bikini, which is has has become an iconic like just image. And I think what I love about how it's written is that she then uses her like the chain that is strapped to her bikini to strangle Jabba. And Han, unable to see, is still able to shoot that little dude on the ground. And Luke, without a lightsaber, uses a bone to put it in like that big monster's mouth and then crushes him with a door. That even when removed from everything that we got to know them from in the past, they all still crush it. Nick, I texted Christian while I was watching this movie and I said, you know what one of my favorite things is about the Star Wars original trilogy? And he said, what? And I said that Leia has a bloodthirst that cannot be quenched because in every single movie, she is out here just murdering dudes. I mean, when we get to her in A New Hope, she's like, been in, like, what's what kind of rescue attempt is this, losers? And they're like, uh, and she's like, give me that. And she grabs a blaster and starts shooting stormtroopers immediately. And she does so in Empire Strikes Back also. She's blasting dudes in that. And now here we are in Return of the Jedi. She is choking the life out of one of the most dangerous crime bosses in the Star Wars universe. Dressed up in some ridiculous metal bikini. I mean, say what you will about the, the bikini costume. But there's, there's something there to Carrie Fisher murdering Jabba the Hutt like this. It's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. I had forgotten that she's the one that gets to, you know, do the deed. Um, and I, I cheered when she choked him. I was like, hell yeah, George Lucas for the win. And that's the thing. This movie is full of so many, so many cheerworthy moments. Like, look, Luke, by the way, Luke has gone full nerd mode right now. He looks like a, he, 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 he looks much, much older than in A New Hope. He um, he's wearing all black. He's wearing all black in his hot topic era. Yeah, um, you know emo king right there, and he looks at Jabba as they're about to get pushed into this massive like Venus flytrap thing, and they he looks at Jabba and says "Free us or die," and Jabba starts laughing, and then an R two D two shoots out the lightsaber. He grabs it, and the lightsaber's green. It's not blue. <laughs> all timer. <laughs> I, I just wrote down green and I put it in a box. That, that was my note for that scene. 
It's incredible. It and okay, look, we we've talked about the hero's journey thing. It's him, you know, he made his own lightsaber. And here we are, and the first because it takes like 37 minutes before we leave Jabba's palace. And it's like that scene has absolutely no real bearing on their fight for the Empire. And that's kind of smart also because it lets you know that as epic as the scene was, there are greater fights to come. However, it's it's the gang getting back together and showing you that every member of the gang is awesome. No, it's true. I think one of the, the best things about this movie is kind of the lack of infighting between our three protagonists. Um, they're on the same page the whole time. There's never, there's never conflict and bickering between the three of them in this movie. They are on the same mission trying to get to the same place. So it's, it's super enjoyable and I think probably one of the stronger aspects of this movie. Um, before we get move on from Jabba, I just wanted to share. Um, this movie has uh, one of my favorite letterboxed reviews of all time. And it is not safe for work, so I'm giving the warning before I read it. And I'll read it with this. We don't have to talk about it. We can move on after this. But it's a review from Sean O'Cons that reads, and I quote, You know Jabba <laughs> Leia choked him to death. So I'll just let that one sit with you guys. Oh, my. <laughs> my, uh, my, my dear, dear father listens to this podcast. So... <laughs> I don't know if Christian I am so sorry, but it had to be Can't wait to hear his reaction to that. Here's the thing, Scott. I can bleep it all out, or I can bleep the word, but we should we should leave space here. <laughs> so just just let me know what you want me to bleep. All we'll, right, we'll figure it out. Thanks for sharing, Nick. This has been a fun letterbox show and tell with Nick Biner. <laughs> oh, one of my um, th- there are two amazing letterbox reviews that I read for this movie. One of which is um, R2-D2 colon beep boop beep boop and underneath damn right king. And I'm like, yeah. So true. Yep. The sassiest robot in the universe. Indeed he is. Check On the out. same the same behind the scenes special features I was watching for my Star Wars Blu-rays, they had a blurb about, or like a little video about R2-D2. And they actually featured Ewan McGregor because it was kind of like across all of the movies. And while he was making the prequels Ewan's daughter was deeply in love with R2-D2 as in did not want to leave set because he was there and when she went home there was no more R2-D2 and Ewan was like wow I uh I get the appeal I guess wow (laughs) he's everybody's favorite little little guy we spent like 32 minutes just on Jabba's Palace so let's let's talk about one other thing um all right, the Dagobah system. So they win. They kill. They kill Jabba. They go. Luke says he needs to complete his training. Yoda is on his deathbed. <laughs> really, really made me consider my own mortality. Seeing Yoda in that state. <laughs> By the and, way, right before Yoda get literally gets into his deathbed, he's tottering around for one last one last turn about his hut. And he looks at Luke and he's like, <laughs> trying to remember the exact way he says that. Oh, yeah. When 900 years old, you reach. Look as good. You will not. 
<laughs> I love that they had the consideration to write that cheesy 80s joke into this movie. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, look. Yoda gets into his deathbed and pulls the covers up. And because he tells Luke that his training is complete, Luke goes, then I am a Jedi. Yoda immediately opens his eyes like, no. <laughs> Kill the buzz one more time. I must. <laughs> Guys, this movie is genius. I mean, <laughs> I mean, in terms of what's actually genius about this scene, the fact that uh, Marquand as director and, and you know Lucas as writer and producer have the ability to hold on Yoda for as long as they do. This goofy green puppet voiced by Frank Oz just dominates the movie screen for most of this scene. We don't hang out on Dagobah for too long and we get a lot of Yoda's sort of final death speech just on him. And it's it's a testament to again, the power of practical filmmaking in these original Star Wars movies where we have this ridiculous green puppet who's cracking jokes and then gets into bed and completely holds the screen down. You know, Christian, one thing we forgot to mention last week is that Lucas was, like, actively campaigning for Frank Oz to get an Oscar nomination for Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. He wanted him to be in the Best Supporting Actor conversation, and obviously he was not. And those conversations are still ongoing about when should actors who are, you know, should they be considered if they're not physically playing themselves, if they're behind a puppet or CGI or whatever. But it's amazing to see how much Lucas believed in that performance. And then you get to see those results on screen too. Give the man the Oscar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not to be all like, (laughs) not to be all old man yelling at cloud, but one of the things that makes the original trilogy so endearing is the practical effects and it's something that i think modern blockbusters have lost a little bit of of sight of which is that cgi has kind of you know become a concerted effort to become ultra realistic and in doing that anything that doesn't look ultra realistic stands out but the thing that makes the practical effects so good is not that they look incredibly real it's just that the commitment to the bit is so strong that you can't help but feel endeared by it. Here's the thing. This movie is all about commitment to the bit. Because Obi-Wan shows up right after Yoda dies and gives like a two-minute long monologue of exposition. And I am looking back like this is like breaks all of the screenwriting rules that you're not supposed to do on screen. And yet it is fascinating listening to him tell him that, like, Leia is his sister and that um, he was right from a certain point of view. And I'm like, man, nerds are just eating this up. And I'm also eating this up because he's so serious. Like, they're not making fun of themselves. And again, it's like they're commenting on what everyone thought this movie was going to be. By the way, when he says that they're siblings... I just don't understand how Luke doesn't, like, go home and take a massive just shower trying to scrub everything off. You know, he can't be blamed. She kissed him to prove a point to Han. It never happened again. And he's his whole religious experience that he's getting into right now is part of a Jedi no, unattachment, being, you know, removed from self, thinking about those around you. You know, he's, he's coming to peace with that, Christian. He's developing as a man. 
one of the more concerning things in this film is uh, right after Luke breaks the news to Leia that they are siblings, she says, and I quote, I know somehow I've always known. Yep. <laughs> Which makes the oh, kiss have you, Leia. so much worse. <laughs> I, That's how, I just how pissed she was about Solo. When she read that, I said, oh, <gasps> insane stuff from my girl Leia. My, my favorite is when Han says, you love him, don't you? She goes, yes, of course I do. He's like, all right, I'll move out of the way. You won't hear from me again. And then he's like, no, he's my brother. And then they met. Like start making out, and Han's eyes as they're making out are so big and like concerned. You can see that must have been the first moment that Harrison Ford was told of this. Like he must not have even read his script because he's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I remember filming the other movie, guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. Good times with Star Wars. Oh man. Okay. You know, a lot of themes and things have recurred in Star Wars before. We've gotten fathers and sons and. Uh, and mothers and daughters and the force, the light side, the dark side. Nobody's kissed their sister in Star Wars since this happened. Somehow it, it didn't age well. There's fertile storytelling ground, Lucasfilm. There's there's some nastiness to explore. Let's get David Cronenberg back on the back on the hook. He's still making movies in his old age. So right, that <laughs> there's the Cronenberg version of this movie. <laughs> Him and David Lynch, they're, they're both very old at this point, but they can tag team a surreal, body horror, incestuous Star Wars movie. And what could go wrong? Okay, here, here's, here's the thing, though. I know they're not siblings, but when Rey kisses Kylo Ren at the end of Episode Nine, I will say made me as uncomfortable. Made, like, honestly, more uncomfortable. So think about this, right? Kylo Ren, you know, Ben Solo, daughter of Leia, who is a Skywalker, of course, by the end of Rise of Skywalker, Rey has, of course, forsaken her Palpatine identity and adopted Skywalker as her surname as well. So, in a way, it's sort of a kissing cousin situation, you know? Like, there's, it's not, it's not blood relation, but that, that's, there, maybe there's something there. Guys. We're getting close. Guys, we've talked about so little of this movie and we're 40 minutes in we've talked um, about much of this movie christian we we got into java's palace we're talking yoda on dagobah well it, it's honestly it brings up a good point which is that for everything i love about this movie the middle of this movie is a bit lacking we have because it opens up with java's palace and it, you're off to the races it's just pure joy and then obviously the last what 45 50 minutes or so of this movie are just like chef's kiss pure enjoyment um but there's there's a little section in the middle where it drags because we got to get to the forest moon of endor folks christian okay. take it away uh, I, I i will i'm gonna say in the godfather when he goes to italy Lags for me. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> Christian, it's 8 a.m. We don't need this lost, violence. Lost her life in a mafia car bombing. You're putting some disrespect on her name in favor of the Ewoks. 16-year-old practically child bride. We're in Endor. I will say, 
The fact that he, that him and Darth Vader can feel each other with the Force does fill you with, like, a massive source of premonition for what's going to go on. I enjoyed that scene. And the opening chase sequence in Endor, I think, is really cool. I think it's really... The speeder bike sequence? Yes, the, the speeder bike sequence. Because, well, for one, I love that you're in a forest because look at all the different settings we are. We're not just in space, but we're also, you know, in the Tatooine desert and we're also in the swamp of Dagobah and now we're in the forest. We are making use of how big the Empire actually is. Well, not the Empire, but the galaxy that Star Wars resides in actually is. And I think that as its own introduction, chasing down every single one of the stormtroopers, which is thrilling, and then, of course, right after that, Leia gets separated, and we meet our darling Ewoks. My boy, Wicket. Oh, man. Yeah, the uh, the speeder bike chase sequence. Looking back now, watching it now, maybe maybe my favorite sequence in the movie. So good. And I couldn't help but think, there. I love that it, it kind of swings back and forth between these POV shots from what what would be our protagonist's view of flying through the flo- forest and uh and then back to them on the bikes and uh some of the effects when they go back to the bikes are a little questionable but the pov shots flying through the forest are insane and i couldn't help but think uh that they would just use drones to shoot that now and it would be significantly less kinetic and cool i am once again here to share information i learned from my behind the scenes special features for my blu-ray set it's amazing to Remember that sometimes movies come together by luck. And one of the lucky things about this movie is the forest they were filming in. I forget the specific situation, but basically a bunch of the land was going to be... They were going to cut down the trees, use the lumber, and they were going to put something up. So they just had this free forest to roam in. They can knock down trees as part of the special effects and everything because the land was about to become deforested. And it's, a, a, of course, just a stroke of luck that they get to use this land in Northern California because they can, again, just roam through it and make the movie of their dreams. And they literally made the speeder bike chase sequence by strapping a steady cam onto one of the camera operators and having him walk forward with each frame of film acting as like, um, I think it was like a second of movie time so that by the time you put all the frames together, it, they're flying at 24 frames per second, 24 seconds in one second of movie, you know, and that's how they made the illusion of speed. And so later, they, they, of course, blue screened in Luke and Leia riding on the speeder bike and doing their, like, we're riding a thing in front of, the, you know, in front of the blue screen. But the, the way that they got that actual footage, again, just speaks to their ingenuity of the filmmakers. Where, Nick, like you said, they would probably just these days take a drone or something and have it zoom through the forest a couple times and, and just use that footage. But here, again, we have literal boots on the ground, guys strapping cameras to their chest and, and walking through and thinking about how they would have to make this happen. Uh, it's a really, really well done sequence that's just ultimately really fun to watch at the end of the day, too. And the other thing about practical effects is that it, it, for some reason, these three movies, it feels like despite, you know, having decently, like, big-sized budgets, they're running out of money. Like, it feels like they're squeezing every single penny to try to get these shots. And when a movie feels like it's doing that, to me, that's a win. That's such a massive, massive win. Um... Okay, so now, guys, your your opening question is... A new opening question. Outside of Jesus, why are the Ewoks the best thing to happen to the human race? 
<laughs> you know, Christian, there are some folks who might take issue with that <laughs> for a variety of reasons. <laughs> the Ewoks are pure bliss, and I do not understand the hate. There are there's just so ma- there are so many good moments with them. There's so many. I wrote down quite a few of them. I'll be honest, about ninety percent of my notes are related to the Ewoks, um, but just hitting a few of the of the highlights. The Ewoks bowing to C three PO because they think he is a god is I laughed so hard. It's so good. They just all the reverence in their bows is phenomenal. Tell them if you um, don't the, release us, you'll use some of your magic. But <laughs> Master Luke. There's a, uh, the one of my favorite Ewoks is the baby Ewok that we see numerous times. Yep. Very cute. And, and when, when they're getting ready to roast uh, Han and Chewie and Luke, and, and Luke uses the force to levitate 3PO, the baby Ewok screams. And that might be my favorite moment of the entire movie. It's just great. Harrison Ford is amazing in all of these movies, of course, but one of my favorite moments from this movie in particular is when they realize that they're not going to be able to talk their way out of getting off the literal spit they're roasting on with the Ewoks. And he leans in and starts to try... He's trying to blow out the fire. (laughs) He's like... (laughs) (laughs) He is... I mean, one of Harrison Ford's secret strengths in these movies is just that he's so funny. And it's moments like that where he's not being sarcastic, he's not quipping, he's not bantering with Leia. He's just trying to survive and literally blowing out a fire. Kills me every time. Yo, when the Ewoks try to, like, use the rope to tangle up the, 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 whatever, the walker's legs, the way that they had in Hoth, that's, like, again, I'm like, oh, this is a massive recall thing. Also, when, when one of the Ewoks dies and his friend is, like, like just shoving him to see if he's still alive. I, I think that's the saddest moment in movie history. That's heavy. Oh, moment. Christian, I am not afraid to admit I cried. It's <laughs> it it is it's such a quick scene. They just throw it in there, commit emotional terrorism, and then leave. It's like trying to touch his lifeless and it, body. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. The, the the standing up and the realizing the other Ewok is still down. And the walk over and the shake. But it also reminded me, there's that, um, the scene in the Rancor pit, obviously where, you know, Luke kills our, our good boy, RIP, to the Rancor. And, uh, and his trainer is devastated. He comes in crying. He's like, my guy is gone. And it's just two yeah. moments in this movie where you watch somebody else experience, you know, like, a significant death. And it just moves on very, very quickly. I was going to say one one piece, again, of practical filmmaking that I greatly appreciate about the Ewoks, even though I don't love everything about them, is just the sheer amount of actors employed. Because, again, these are real people mm-hmm. in costumes. And it's amazing to pull up the cast list and see the probably 50 actors or more that they got to play the Ewoks. And it's people who would go on to long Hollywood careers, too. Like, Wicked is played by Warwick Davis, who a lot of people might recognize from his 
He put a couple different roles in the Harry Potter movies. He was the star of Willow, which is another Lucasfilm fantasy movie that uh, came out in the 80s. He was in Labyrinth with uh, David Bowie. Like, he's been in all kinds of movies over the years. You have people like Tony Cox, who is, again, another actor who's been in movies for decades. Kiran Shah and Deep Roy. These names that don't really, they're not famous people, unfortunately, but they're people who acted in Hollywood for a very long time. And one of their first jobs was on this movie. And it just, again, goes to show that casting of real people, it, it just brings the movie to vivid life where we have these moments like the Ewok who dies and we have this little moment of realizing man like the Empire is evil they're causing this death and destruction all these alien worlds and that comes through so much more strongly when it's not just either puppets or CGI creations that's real people acting even if they're under a costume yeah and before we move on from the Ewoks oh no go ahead I was just gonna say I love that part of the empire is being taken down by the people that they are terrorizing and not just the rebel group and yes the rebel group are the people that they're terrorizing but we're seeing how that directly is affecting this world and how quote-unquote simplistic they are i think also speaks to how um at the base level this is a story about good versus evil totally yeah the ewoks i mean they (laughs) Not to say, like, they're our tie into the movie, but you immediately feel sympathetic towards them yeah. because they're these cute little guys who are having their, you know, their forest planet invaded. Um, and I just wanted to say, one of my favorite things about the Ewoks is all of basically the traps that they have during the battle sequence. Um, and namely all the, the ways they use rope to attack uh, stormtroopers. But there's this one sequence where they basically lasso a rope to uh, go around the front of one of the speed bikes, and then that sends the speed bike going, spinning in a circle around a tree until it eventually impacts and blows up. I just thought that was genius. Let's talk about the Emperor, because we have not mentioned the Emperor once. That being said, the Emperor, good acting. (laughs) This is some strong acting being put in by the Emperor, and also, yo, he's trying to convert Luke. Luke's like, no. And then the Emperor goes, so be it, Jedi, and spits out the word Jedi like an insult. And then he uses Force Lightning, which never before had anyone seen. And you're like, frick, you thought you knew what the Force was, bro, but you don't. Again, one of those moments where I put on my producer hat and I'm like, so George, I thought the Force was like this thing that bonded uh, stuff in the universe together so jedis can use like telekinesis and stuff but how is he doing lightning and it's like well well you see it's he's like channeling the energy through his butt no george come on force lightning but here we are here we are it's great you like force lightning of course i like force lightning christian (laughs) what am i heartless no of course, it's awesome. It looks so cool. There's He's using it, and Darth Vader's like, no, because they edited that in after the fact, of course, and he picks him up, and you can see that, like, Vader's skeleton is, like, flashing through the, yeah. the, like through his suit somehow. It's amazing. Uh, it's such a nice touch. And Palpatine delivers every line like it's going to be his very last one, yeah. and it's so good, and one of my favorites is when... Uh, when they're standing there and uh, Luke is basically watching the attack on Endor from a distance, he looks at him and he goes, the hate is swelling in you now. 
which is just I mean for for the talk about the the quote unquote bad writing in this movie, what a great line and so indicative of basically you know the whole message of the emperor, which is that I can bring out this hate in you that is not never reversible. My favorite letterbox review when Darth Vader is trying to turn Luke is um, and I'm gonna I'm paraphrasing it, but Darth Vader going. Son, you're giving up your dream. Luke going, no, Dad, I'm giving up your dream. <laughs> the 80s, baby. <laughs> oh, but man. I love that scene, too. And, and again, when you think about what makes Star Wars better than just a fun entertainment, it's, it's that there is some thematic depth here. And we do get to explore a little bit of what it means to be part of the light side of the Force versus the dark side of the Force. And ultimately... Vader being turned back to the light side, betraying the Emperor and saving the day, really, because Luke is he's dead to rights until Vader intervenes. This powerful belief that Luke had in Vader, this hope that he would not give up, and this belief that there is good in the the darkest among us. Obviously, there are times where that feels like and more fantastical than anything else in Star Wars, than aliens and Ewoks and laser blasters and swords. But I think that is something deeply human about these movies, too, this unwavering belief that we can have in one another and how sometimes that can ultimately be the change in someone's life. And there's something powerful about this father-son dynamic between Luke and Vader that is introduced at the very end of Empire Strikes Back and then explored in this movie. Christian, you mentioned that they can feel each other through the Force and Vader is like legitimately wanting to rule the galaxy with his son together, but Luke knows there's there's something better that we could have than just ruling, just having power together. It's a family and, movie. Yeah, and it, it's a great way to deepen this movie without having to introduce something that would not have made it make sense for the kids who were watching it then or still do now. All right, we have some awards to give out for this series. Now, Nick, have you rewatched episodes four or five? I did not. I kind of I cold watched this one. <laughs> Bold. All right. Um, then then Nick, you'll you you can still join us um, if you would like. But we 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 have the simple award that we always give out, which is um, best picture. But I'm assuming you've all made it perfectly clear that for both of you, it's episode five, and for me, it's episode six. Yes. Unless anyone is changing. No. <laughs> no, that's right on. Then. Then, in honor of Nick, you having only seen episode six, what is your favorite scene from episode six? Um, and then I also, Scott, want us to give our best performance from these movies. I don't know. Come back to me. Let's do this. Let's do this in a second. <laughs> All right. Scott, what would you say your favorite scene is? I would probably go with uh, Jabba's Palace at this point, which is uh, it's a real change for me because it was it used to be a scene that I hated because I watched it so many times but now I love it so much because it's all that practical fun of Star Wars all these creepy aliens it's Leia taking off her helmet and going from her weird bounty hunter voice to someone who loves you and she gets to lay one on Han when he's blind it's like it's it's all that fun stuff of Star Wars that I can't resist I, I mean it's, it's it's obviously Jabba's Palace for me uh, and and everything from like the quartet or like the 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 singers there, Jedi Rock, and also then the um, oh what is it? Yeah, you know the 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 strangling of Jabba. All right, Nick, what would yeah, you say? I, 
I'm probably going to go with the speed bike chase. It's amazing. It's great filmmaking. Absolutely fantastic. All right. And now, what is our favorite performance from this trilogy? Nick, answer as you would like maybe your favorite performance from this movie. Honestly, I love the dynamic between 3PO and R2-D2. And obviously, it's not, it's not, you know, they're not a part of our big three. But there's something so endearing about the two of them just kind of like being along for the ride and occasionally playing pivotal roles in, uh, you know, assisting our heroes. And, and ultimately, pretty much always eventually getting sidelined because, you know, it's the two of them. But they're so silly. And there's just something so charming about them as like, uh, basically like, especially in, you know, episode six, the battle on Endor, they, they just get told, stay here. Like, just hang back. Like, don't worry about this. And I feel that I, I watching 3PO, I'm like, that would be me in this story. Just like walking around complaining about things. And then ultimately like watching all the action happen. Poor R2 gets called into action and takes a bullet for uh, for Han and Leia, and we get we get our uh, we get our our single R2 scream in this movie when he is electrocuted trying to <laughs> open the doors, which is just yeah, that's, I, I it's that's perfect. Terrifying. It's the perfect spot for it. Um, yeah, Scott, what would you say? I gotta tell you, it is no surprise after you watch these movies that Harrison Ford would go on to be one of the biggest movie stars Hollywood ever Hollywood of, of modern history had by the time the, that this movie comes out, he's already Indiana Jones and he goes right from making star Wars movies to making Indiana Jones movies. And he, he picks up an Oscar nomination in the mid eighties for witness. He's making huge movies and you totally see it in, in his role as Han Solo. I one of my the reasons I'm a little bit resistant to Return of the Jedi when compared to Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars there's is less Han. There's, there's less, less Han. yeah there's less Han and I and I miss him and he he really makes the most of his his scenes that he has that is for sure but I really love Harrison Ford across his movies especially Empire Strikes Back where that uh, that romantic and sarcastic chemistry between him and Carrie Fisher really gets to shine. He's so good, and so he's my pick for a favorite performance. I, I, I would say that it's probably right now Leia from A New Hope. Because they rescue her, and she goes like, what kind of rescue attempt is this? And there's this just utter fierceness to her that has always defied everything. And 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 not that, no, she, she doesn't mellow out by episode six, but she, there's less opportunities for her to do so, but man... She's just incredible. And even here, like you said, she's still the girl who will choke Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> All right, y'all. We need it. We really, really need to wrap this up. So um, let me just say next week we will be talking about kind of Star Wars and what it is today and what is going on. <laughs> what Disney hath wrought in the. In the galaxy far far away yes we will be looking at some of the expanded universe star wars content as we take a look at some of the tv shows some of the other movies that fit in for this particular era still focused on the original trilogy and we'll hopefully have some more guests just like we've had to try having folks on 
this month as we talk through the original movies. And of course, our guest this week is none other than Nick Viner. So Nick, thank you for coming back to talk science fiction you, with boys. us once again on Cinema Drip here. We got to get you in for for another genre next time maybe, but No, absolutely. Normally we have folks on and we ask them what they have to, you know, to to share from their own work and it, not everybody else has a podcast or is writing a book or anything, but Nick, very famously, you are uh, an active and working creative. So where can folks find you and your work? Yeah, you can stream my music anywhere that you stream music. Uh, name is Nick Viner. Um, I've got a song coming out next week, which is probably this week when this is airing June 2nd. So if you're feeling up to it, go listen to that. And uh, yeah, you can find me anywhere you listen to music. I, I Wait, wait. Here's here's an open invite. Nick, you watch a lot of movies, right? Oh yeah. All right, we are going to um we take a break in July, we come back in August and we do our top 5 list of the year so far. Do you want to jump in for that episode? I would absolutely love that. I've got I've got some takes to get off already. <laughs> Nick coming in hot in defense of Plane starring Gerard Butler. <laughs> Secret classic lying in wait. <laughs> Nick's going to be the one dude who watches Barbie and goes, guys, I just, I think Greta's lost it. No, <laughs> if, if no, that no, 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 no. sequence of events I'm, happens, we'll end the recording Bar- and start again. Barbie's the Nick. first, yeah, Barbie's the first movie of the day. Oppenheimer can wait. <laughs> I, I actually heard someone say that you need to start with Oppenheimer because Barbie has to be the chaser. <laughs> it's it's really how you view it you know is barbie gonna be your like the spritz that you have to kick off the day and then you settle in with like a, a, a dark heavy beer from from oppenheimer or is barbie gonna be the like the port the wine that you have after your hearty dinner you know that that gives you a little sweetness cools you down who knows we'll have to see once that fateful day in july comes but of course that is our show you'll still have to wait for that one folks So thanks, of course, to Nick. Go stream his music. It's a good listen. And we will be back next week with a little more Star Wars content for you here on the show. And, of course, if you're still listening, we do thank you and appreciate your listening. There's a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of movie podcasts out there. And so it's just great to know that there's folks out here listening and enjoying our discussions here on the show. There are a few things that you can do to support us. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if it's applicable for your platform of choice. Warms our little hearts to see those five-star reviews come in and it helps us grow on those platforms and reach people more organically. So if you can, subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff about having a podcast. You can also send us an email to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We crave your Star Wars takes. And so maybe you think that A New Hope is actually the best Star Wars movie. And we both got it wrong. All three of us got it wrong, rather. Talking about Empire versus Return of the Jedi. Or maybe there's a particular Star Wars TV show that you're really loving and you want to make sure that we talk about next week. Send us your thoughts, again, to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and all three of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching and finding strange and humorous reviews to share with each other when they come up. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? I'm trying to see if I should just, like, input one of Nick's songs without causing any, like, anyone to sue me. <laughs> Nick, would you or your record label no, sue us? <laughs> no legal no legal trouble on my end. You're in the clear. 
We're going to start putting Mood Swing on as the music to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we will grow our listenership. Alrighty, y'all. I'm Scott. He's Christian. And this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.